What's going on, FA Nation? This is the Fantasy Alarm NASCAR DFS podcast, streamed through the Better Sports Network. I am Dan Malin, and I am joined by the FSWA three-time NASCAR Writer of the Year, Matt Sells. And we are coming off a very uh, eventful Chicago street course debut, but overall it was still exciting uh, with Trackhouse getting another win, Matt. There was a lot to take away, and there were people that were obviously rooting for the Chicago street race to fail. Overall, I thought it was a success, and the ratings certainly reflect that. What you think of last week's race? I thought it was phenomenal. I Like, the weather delay sucked, obviously, but it was a historic rainstorm in Chicago, so what are you going to do about it? They literally got twice as much rain that weekend as they get in the entire month of July. So, you know, everybody going, oh, it's sunny here. Okay. <laughs> like I I don't know what else we want to complain about to be honest. Like now we've got shopkeepers. I saw reports that shopkeepers were peeved at the race cuz they didn't get traffic when they're the ones that elected to close. Like how many things we got to we got to have a problem with before we just accept that it was a really good race, really entertaining. Um the only thing I wish I had known was that SVG was running Suarez's car from Sonoma last year before the race started uh cuz I would have had more right. <laughs> more money and uh backing of SVG cuz that car was really really good um but no I thought it was fantastic right up there with Kansas uh in terms of great races this year the rating showed I think it was the what the highest the most watched NASCAR race on NBC in six years. Yep. And the second only to the Daytona five hundred this year in terms of races this year in ratings. So yeah. I was I was blown away by how well that, that track actually raced and there was passing and yeah, I'm kind of with you because like when we saw the initial layout for it, you know, everyone was was worried that the corners were too tight to pass. They thought mm-hmm. that the layout was going to be incredibly narrow anyway. But once the track dried like early on, it was it was a little sloppy just because it was still wet and the cars were getting into the tire barriers and everything. But once the track dried, the racing actually got much better. You could pass, um, you know, and, and I think like the rating, it probably helped that NASCAR really wasn't going up against too much last weekend. But that's. Still, them taking advantage of a good time slot and doing something new uh, to gen- generate viewers. And the goal for them, as they've said all along, is to welcome new fans, bring in uh, new fans in a different market. And speaking um, of that, according to uh, pit reporters for NBC, 80% of the people that bought tickets for Chicago were yeah. had never been to a NASCAR race. And there you go. That's what they were 80%. trying to do. They had like 90,000 people there and 80% of that. So what? 72,000 people had never been to an NASCAR race before. Yeah. That's how you grow the sport. Uh, but we turn our attention this week. Uh, we are back at Atlanta Motor Speedway for the second time this year. Uh, Atlanta getting two races on the schedule for as long as I can remember. Um What's an overview of this week's slate in the DFS contest? Um, I don't know. Since Atlanta's reconfiguration to uh, a little bit more narrow, higher banked, it, it's it's like a hybrid super speedway, but still can race like a mile and a half in terms of you know one person getting out front and leading a majority of the laps. Um, I'm not. I don't play these tracks super heavy i'll do a lot of three max contests and just play gpp tur- or tournaments on DraftKings and fanduel 
Um, there certainly are cash game strategies, and I think that one thing we need to do to recalibrate cash game strategies this week is maybe try to land the pull sitter or try to get one dominator in our lineup because we've seen in the last couple of races that you can run up front consistently and and bank on those laps led. What's your uh, view of this weekend slate? Yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with you. It races. It's not like a pure Daytona or Talladega where we just expect pure chaos. There will be chaos. There has been in every one of these Atlanta races since it got redesigned. Um, but it's more tame for longer. There's also more laps in these races than you see at Talladega and Daytona because it's a shorter track. So they're running the same mileage. Got to have more laps, right? Um, which means we can actually count on laps led being a factor uh, this weekend. So I'm still playing lighter. I still treat it like it's a Daytona or Talladega. Um, you can look at the past scoring uh, by starting spot or by driver. Um, there's a few posts I've seen on Twitter already this week. I will have some in my playbook out on Saturday. And what's interesting is the last two races we've seen the pole sitter be in the optimal lineup, which you basically never see at Daytona or Talladega, right? It is risky, sure, but if you realize that the first about stage and a half isn't going to have that much aggressive driving, then that guy can just lead laps, like in an intermediate, right? So I'm still more on the GPP train this week. I do think cash games is get a guy starting in the top 10 and stack everybody else starting 25th or worse. I think that's standard cash game plays here. Mm -hmm. GPPs, you can get a little more creative with how you do it. Sprinkle in some guys starting closer to the front. So as we saw in the spring race where Joey Logano won, uh, started on the pole, won the race, led well over 100 laps. If you get a guy that's maybe one of these Penske drivers like a Logano or a Blaney or maybe someone else that we just know has a good history of running in the draft and they're on the pole. Is that the kind of driver that you're okay playing in cash games? You know, and, and, you know, at Daytona and Talladega, we, we don't ever really support that kind of strategy, especially for cash games, maybe in tournaments. Sure. But is, is because Atlanta does race a little bit different. Are you okay playing the pole sitter if, if it's a guy that you feel comfortable can go out and lead over 60 laps and still finish top five top 10 can we play the pole sitter this weekend for cash games yeah i think it's i think it's viable um i also saw an interesting tweet i'm trying to remember who it was from sorry for no attribution but um the penske guys have been very very good at the atlanta um races like even austin Cindric, they've ranked in the top six in terms of um qualifying runs they've ranked in the top 10 in terms of percent of laps run inside the top 10 they're very good at drafting obviously Cindric's win in the cup series came at his inaugural running at daytona in the cup series um so yeah i'm i'm fine with that i'm you know it doesn't have to be a penske guy if we're looking at like let's say chase uh elliott's on the pole i'm fine with playing him I'm fine with track. what? It's his home track. I mean, it is his home track. Um, so, and he desperately needs a win. Yep. He's the only guy in the last nine races between Daytona, Talladega, and Atlanta with two wins in the field. Um, I'm, 
what are the pole sitters you would be concerned about? Like, what if Stenhouse is on pole? So, my next question was going to be because, like, I do think like it's viable to play the pole sitter, but it does depend on the pole sitter. But yeah. my next question was going to be, you know, is it because when we do these Daytona, Talladega, Atlanta previews, we almost tell people to never really go above thirty to thirty-five percent exposure to anyone in tournaments. <clears throat> My next question was going to be, are you okay maybe being contrarian and going overweight on the pole sitter? Sure, that can absolutely blow up. But in the last two races, we've seen the pole sitter be optimal. Stenhouse is a guy that if he was on the pole, I'd probably go 20% exposure because he does have a history. He won the Daytona 500. He has a history of – he's one of the best super speedway racers and, and drafters in NASCAR and, and – for the longest time, we would only talk about Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Right. Uh, on Super Speedways, but he's actually having a really good year. And um, their mile and a half program has gotten better, which right. I kind of still have to pay attention to here because it is a mile and a half track, mm -hmm. right? So I'm with you on the percentage of, yeah. of Stenhouse. Um, but I think it does depend on – I'm not just going set it and forget it with the pole setter because they've been optimal the last two – races at Atlanta I think it does depend on who exactly is sitting on the pole before we dive into the next section I guess my uh my follow-up question would be off Stenhouse like what would you do with Michael McDowell who's in a Ford has won the Daytona 500 I mean yes is it kind of the I same did win money off of McDowell winning the 500 but it came because Two Penske dudes wrecked each other on the final corner, on the final lap, and he happened to be there. Um, I'm probably a little lower on McDowell than Stenhouse. I was thinking like 12 to 15 percent is where. I was yeah, probably. probably. And this is all hypothetical. Like we, we haven't even gotten to qualifying. We're recording this Friday afternoon, and like qualifying. Right. For another also, by the way, there's no practice for Cup at Atlanta right. because it's like a plate race, and they don't. The only plate race they practice for now is Daytona because it's the first time you're track you're you know, on track for the season. Um, so, yeah, but qualifying is, I think, what, 6 Eastern, 5 Eastern on Saturday. Um, and then the race. And you don't even need to, you don't even need to watch qualifying. No. Like, you don't really take away anything from qualifying. It's just, it, you find out where everyone's starting. You don't need, yeah. it doesn't really matter who's fast in qualifying or anything like that because the speeds don't translate the same when they actually start the pack racing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the race is in the evening on Sunday. It's a Sunday evening race. Yeah, and as it stands right now, it's summer in Atlanta. So pretty much every day of the week, it's a 50% chance of rain. Um, and we were talking about this before the podcast. Yesterday, Thursday, I was out and about um, up in the northwest portion of Atlanta. And it was about a 60 to 70% chance of rain from 3 to 6 p.m. And then it was about a 40 to 50% chance of rain the rest of the night. And so, sure, there's the threat of rain, but it didn't rain at all yesterday. Um, and that's kind of what we're looking at uh, for Saturday and Sunday night between the Xfinity race and the Cup Series race. There, there's about a 50 to 60% chance of rain, but that also means there's about a 40 to 50% chance of rain, a chance that it doesn't rain. So... <laughs> You know, we'll, we'll know more about the forecast like that morning, but, you know, it's it's summer in Atlanta, and so it could rain, it could not rain. You know, be nice to the local weathermen in Atlanta because like, nobody knows. Yeah, 
So hopefully being in the evening alleviates some of that. Uh, plus the track won't be quite uh, as hot, which also, by the way, means I'm more comfortable playing the pole sitter. I can see that, yeah. If it's a little cooler, there's more grip in the track. If there's more grip, then it's, you know, it tends to be a little harder to pass. Guys aren't slipping and sliding quite as much. Yeah. Um, what do you make of the new pit road speeds? So I forgot what they did for the last race. Cause so for the last race, cause they do have these sections of pit road and, and right. some of them, there are two sections in basically the corners of turns three and four for the last race. Was it pretty much primarily that all pit road sections, like the speed, regardless if it was a green or yellow flag, was it all 45 miles an hour? Yeah. Okay. Cause that was creating issues with pit strategy because some guys were losing laps easily. Um, yeah, but, for those that don't know, pit road entrance at Atlanta now is off of turn three. Yeah. So you have to go all the way around three and four on pit road under pit road speed while the guys on the track are doing, you know, 190 miles an hour through the corner or whatever it is. And then you still have to go down the normal pit road straight um, down the front straightaway. They have now, I guess the portions that are in turns three and four are now at 90 miles an hour under green road or green flag pit stops. And then once you hit the actual straight part of pit road, it goes to 45. So we'll see how many people get nabbed for speeding. Cause I think it's going to be a lot of people. I will say without practice, that is that, that would probably be the only thing I think teams would want to practice is just getting down to speed in turns three and four and then getting down to 45 when they enter pit road. Right. So I am agree with you. I do agree because I think that that's something that teams will get tagged for quite a bit. Yeah. Cause it's not like this is, I think unique around like, I don't think that there's another pit road that has two different speeds. I think you're right on it. Um, you know, guys with open wheel experience or road racing experience, um, are probably more used to it because, like, if you look at IndyCar and F1, they have two different pit. Like, you can go from pit entry to pit lane at one speed, and then you have to dial it back to a slower speed once you're actually at the, you know, pit part of pit road. Mm-hmm. Um, so guys with open wheel experience might have a little bit more advantage, but I don't think there's that many pit stops that it's going to make that, like... I don't know. I think teams hold out until there's a caution and then everybody pits together. Fair. Uh, how does lineup construction change between DraftKings and FanDuel this week? So, you know, it, it's the tale as old as time, right? FanDuel doesn't give us a whole lot of points for laps led. So we're not really making that. Um, we're not really hunting that on FanDuel. Doesn't yeah, mean we can't play the 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 pole sitter on FanDuel. Just means we're less likely to play the pole sitter because they'd have to dominate the race so much to make them uh, overshoot the PD that it makes it less intriguing, right? Um, FanDuel is definitely about nailing the winner and then getting four other guys that are in the top ten. Correct, and have completed the most laps possible on because you're getting points for laps completed on FanDuel. Right. So the higher up your guys are finishing the more laps they're going to run because they'll finish the race, right? Um, DraftKings, more inclined to play the pole sitter on DraftKings because of laps led. 
Uh, fastest laps are basically impossible to determine <laughs> this week because everybody's in a pack. So it's going to depend where you are in the pack, when you're in the pack, which part of the pack has fresh tires, which part doesn't. Like, it's not. So don't even pay attention to fastest laps. It's not really something we're targeting. Um, so for FanDuel, I think we're going a lot more PD um, and guys that can finish in the top 10. And for FanDuel, you do need more guys to finish the race, generally speaking, on FanDuel in these kinds of races, um, rather than DraftKings, where you can kind of escape with a few guys who have wrecked out. All right. Uh, we've got about 10 minutes left to get into our driver preview. I mean, I don't think we need to hold back necessarily. Like, there are clearly guys that you want to target and that we can probably touch on easily before without knowing where they start. So who are some of your favorite plays this week on DraftKings and FanDuel? Um, so, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that salaries aren't really prohibitive this week, Good right? Point. Cause we're, we're leaving, we're generally going to leave a decent amount on the table. You can have a few lineups that you build like normal and leave, I don't know, about a, you know, don't spend everything, but build it like a normal lineup where you would leave between 500 and a couple grand on the table, right? And then have a few lineups where you leave more than significantly more than that. Um, we talked about a few of the guys so far, right? Chase Elliott's a guy. He's the only one in the field with two wins in the last nine uh, races between Atlanta, Daytona, and Talladega. Uh, Stenhouse, we talked about. McDowell. But how about uh, uh, another guy who really circles these races as his team's shot to make the playoffs? And that's Corey LaJoy. Yep. He and almost won this race a year ago. He almost did. He He's almost won the Daytona 500, too. He got spun out. Man, if you got almost points on DraftKings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome, isn't it? <laughs> points. Um, you know, the... It's kind of one of those things where if you look at his box scores, you kind of have to break it down by run position rather than where he actually finished because he's, like you said, he almost won this race and then Chase Elliott bodied him last year and yeah. that was basically the end of his day. But he was racing for the lead with like, what, 10 laps to go? Um, and then fell way back. Um, so, you know, there, there's a handful of guys that automatically make um, – the cut here, regardless of starting spot. Bubba Wallace, everybody loves to hate on Bubba, and yeah, it was not the best road course race in Chicago uh, last weekend. Different story at plate races. Bubba is one of the best plate racers in the field. Um, he's he's pretty well established that fact, and generally, the Toyota camp will line up behind him in the pack. Um, so. Doesn't mean he's a surefire finisher. It just means if you're looking at the Toyota camp, it's pretty hard to ignore Bubba. Um, you know, anybody from the Penske camp, usually pretty good. Um, uh, I really like Ross Chastain this week. Finished second in the la in the two Atlanta races a year ago. And, and sure, like Corey LaJoy was running up front a year ago in this race and, and was contending for a win, but – you know, Ross had, Ross had two runner-up finishes a year ago, finished 13th here in the spring, um, led five laps in the spring. And between the two races last year at Atlanta, 
posted a driver rating over 100 in both races and led 32 laps in the July race and 42 laps in the spring race. Um, and overall, ever since they switched to this next-gen car, uh, even Daniel Suarez, his teammate, like the Trackhouse cars have actually looked solid on, at Daytona, Talladega, and even Atlanta. And Suarez, for the longest time, was a driver that we weren't really considering on these types of tracks, and yet... He's been a really solid tournament play that just nobody seems to really roster uh, on in DFS at least. And so I'm on I'm on board with both Trackhouse guys, especially Ross Chastain, because you know Trackhouse has back to back wins coming into this weekend, and so I, you know, I, I think it could be three straight, but at the same time, like you know, there's so much variance. But I do like Ross just based on what he's done at New Atlanta. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's hard to deny uh, what he's done. In fact, in terms of top fives in the last nine races, he's tied with Ryan Blaney for the most top five uh, finishes at four. Uh, he's right there in terms of top tens with five. Only Ryan Blaney is better than him with six. Obviously, Blaney's a, a Penske guy. Um, so, yes, he's, he's in the mix. Uh, I know Ed Rouse plays him every week. <laughs> uh, the rest of us are gonna play <laughs> you know he's in the mix this week um the rfk guys both of them i think are in play this week brad almost won this in the spring didn't he uh yeah i believe so yeah i'm pretty sure he finished second here in the, in the spring and he finished fifth at talladega yeah, i think you're right <clears throat> um so yeah i would say that but that both of them uh are in play Busher had a pretty good run at um, – he's been pretty good the last three or so of these races. He finished fourth at Daytona. He finished 35th in Atlanta, but he was running better than that and then wrecked out and then finished third at Talladega. So um, that's that's pretty nice out of the uh, RFK duo there of of Kozlowski and, and Busher. Now, for you, do how much stacking of manufacturers do you do? I almost never do it, and if the only reason I never do it is only because when we come to these tracks, I only do about three lineups, and I just don't have it in me to dedicate like one or two of my three builds to strictly like stacking manufacturers. If I was doing twenty, to either tw if I was max entering twenty max contests or twenty lineup contests, or if I was max entering one hundred and fifty lineup contests, I'm more inclined to do it. It's just not something I do because I play low volume for these races. Yep, I'm with you. Um, you know, I'm going to play maybe five lineups or so. So yeah. I may have one where I'm stacking, maybe two. Because um, the other thing is, there's really only, you're not, you're likely not stacking Toyotas, right? There's only like six or seven of them in the field to begin with. So you're not really stacking Toyotas. You're going to stack a couple of them in with Fords and Chevy. So now you're, basically making a standard lineup anyway. So to me, making an entire Ford lineup or an entire Chevy lineup is a little tough uh, to do. I think the last driver I want to mention before we get into some of our favorite bets for this week, uh, Eric Jones, I know we've dumped on legacy for the most part this year. They've looked bad since they've come back from the father's day break though. Um, you know, Jones was eighth at Nashville. He was 16th last week. And overall, since they repaved Atlanta, you know, he's finished 14th, 4th, and 8th at this track in the next-gen car. 
Um, he's got a win at Daytona from his time with Joe Gibbs Racing. He also won the clash when Denny Hamlin was a lap down and just decided to push him to a victory. Yep. Um, he's got six top 10 finishes in, in the last seven races at Talladega. So he can pay off that $7,000 price tag easily on DraftKings. I mean, like you're leaving money on the table with your salary, but Eric Jones is one of my favorite high upside and potentially low owned uh, GPP plays this week. Yep. I'm right there with you. People are still, and for good reason, pooping on legacy, but Eric Jones has been really carrying uh, that car. Because uh, Noah's still carrying baggage, literally tires from Chicago, from how many times he hit the uh, same tire barrier. <laughs> yeah. Jackson put it into turn six like five times. <laughs> uh, what are some of your favorite bets for this week? We got a few minutes left. Um, Let's see here. So we got outrights. And this is the other thing you can really find value these with these races um, and betting. For example, if you look at um the favorites right now to win okay we've got four guys that best odds of them winning are plus 1200 it's chase elliott kyle bush joey logano ryan blaney those are the favorites last week in chicago the favorites were going off at plus 550 so you get nice value out of just the winner bets let alone props because uh they're so Chaotic, by the way, Kozlowski's going off at plus 1,400 to win at um, Caesars there. Um, so, you know, we, some of my favorite bets, I don't, I don't know if I can get behind LaJoy at plus 3,300 to win, but Jones at plus 3,500 at DK? I'd rather take Jones. Maybe. LaJoy was fun to bet a, like a year or two ago when he was going off at like 50 to 1 or longer. Yeah. He's not fun to bet when he's 33 to 1. No, not not because you actually like not need him to win, but like you've put a decent enough stake on it that yeah. It would help if he would win. Um I have I managed to put some bets before I came back to Atlanta. Um but I had to do them on DraftKings just cuz they were the only sports book that I had access to when early odds came out and I put some on Ross Chastain. At the time, he was 3-1 to one to win Group B. Uh, he would have to beat William Byron, Denny Hamlin, and Brad Keselowski. And then I also have Ryan Blaney to win Group A. Uh, that would be best in Kyle Busch, who is strangely the most expensive driver on DraftKings this week. And I know he won Talladega, but I don't really get that one. Uh, but Blaney would have to beat Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, and Joey Logano. Very tough group, but he was getting the longest odds at the time for that group. So those are some group bets I have. And then the outrights I took were on both colleague drivers just because they're long shots and anything could happen. Yeah. I, I can't fault you for that. I might take right now. Kislowski's going off at plus one Oh five for a top 10 on Caesars. That's really good. Actually. If you can get right. plus money on Kislowski for a top 10, that's solid. Chastain's going off at plus plus one twenty on bet rivers for a top 10 plus plus one ten at Caesars. Um, that's, that's pretty nice. I'm curious what Eric Jones is going off at for, for a top 10, to be honest. Um, ooh, plus 175 at Caesars. That's really good. Uh, that's 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 pretty nice. Um, just checking some matchups here. I did take Bell over Byron on DraftKings as a matchup. Um, I don't disagree. Yeah. Here, okay, so here's a like match- Byron has a win here, 
with the new Atlanta, but I mean, Bell's also a decent plate racer as well. Yeah. Plate racer. Byron also, he seems to have speed, but doesn't have like the winning speed he had last year. If that Do you think they're sense. experimenting with the car again? I mean, they might be. I don't, but they did it a year ago. They did it a year ago, so what's to stop them now? Um, by the way, in matchups on DK, you have Joey Logano minus 110 against Chase Elliott at minus 120. It's not bad. So there's that. And by the way, you got Penske teammates going off the same on Bet Rivers, and Blaney and Logano are both minus 114. So I really don't know why you would. I don't know. That one, I don't necessarily like betting matchups where there's no edge between them because it's kind of pointless. Like, why would you bet it if it literally doesn't matter to the sports book who finishes where? Yeah. Uh, you got any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Um, you know, we'll have uh, projections out Sunday or Saturday evening after qualifying because I do need qualifying to, you know, do the projections. Uh, playbook will be out Saturday afternoon. Don't need qualifying to do the playbook um might make some tweaks on sunday watch the weather see what happens um play a little light i agree that's all i got cool well matt thank you so much for your time best of luck to you this weekend for atlanta motor speedway and the trucks are at uh mid ohio this week so uh less variance there and i posted some prize picks top plays ahead of qualifying for all three series. So Matt, with that said, best of luck to you this weekend and best of luck to the FA Nation. Best of luck, FA Nation.